honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome back to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Today, I have on the director of brand marketing at Foot Locker, Alexis Stoll Sigliano, with a background that features N1, Turner, agencies, Nielsen, Pepsi, New Balance, and now Foot Locker. I am going to leave it to her to tell her entire story because you guys are going to absolutely love it. Alexis, thanks for jumping on. Hey, Izzy. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to tell your story. Excuse me. I have a like obsession with your background, especially oh, wow. after our conversation Thanks. before. It, it it's it's something that I sat down after our conversation and really kind kind of like thought to myself like, damn, she's seen so much <laughs> and <laughs> she's experienced so much and she still has so much to experience. And I'm, I'm just really excited to kind of dive deep into that journey that you've been on. Um, but for anybody that doesn't know who I'm talking to, do you want to give a brief intro? Sure. And I'll make sure that that wasn't your way of calling me old. No, not at all. <laughs> That's why I said that you have so much more. There's so much more. <laughs> um, sure. So as Izzy said, my name is Alexis Stoll Sigliano. I oversee women and kids marketing at Foot Locker. Um, but previously, you know, I went to Villanova. I stuck around the Philadelphia area afterwards and had a grad assistantship at the Philadelphia Eagles. Went on to work at And One. Uh, kind of on the tail end of the height of um, its popularity, but was a really cool experience in terms of culture. Um, and I moved back to New York city to work at Turner specifically in the sports ad sales realm. Then worked, went to work at an agency called momentum. Um, after that, I had an interesting turn as I had my, my first child and then went to work at Nielsen for a little bit, learned a lot about measurement and then went on to, work at PepsiCo, um, first in sports marketing, and then onto the Mountain Dew and then Amp Energy brand teams. Then I chased my passion for women's fitness and running a bit and went up to Boston to work at New Balance and then came back to New York just about two years ago to work at Foot Locker. And here I am. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm... <laughs> Like when we were talking and as you mentioned, like your first real stop was at the Philadelphia Eagles and my background is in uh, sports and it's, it's not something that once you're there, it's usually something that people kind of say, okay, I'm going to work for a team the rest of my life. How's your experience with the Eagles and talk to me about how you landed 
with them. Sure. Um, okay. So I knew from a pretty young age that I really wanted to head into marketing, but I wasn't really sure what that meant. I was inspired by a buyer behavior class, I think sophomore year of college. Uh, we studied Super Bowl ads. And I was like, yeah, that's totally it. I really want to do that. And then, you know, I had grown up playing sports and running track and um, I definitely wasn't going to become a professional athlete. So it was just figuring out how I was going to keep my passion for sports plus get paid to do it um, in a way that allowed me to be creative and have fun at work. And so I landed on sports marketing and this was in 2003, kind of before sports marketing was an official lane that you could go in in your career the way it is now. Like I know at Villanova now they, they offer sports marketing classes. I've seen a lot of colleges offer it as a major. It's like a concentrated focus now. Um, and then, you know, in Philly, big sports town, um, and but the Eagles are it in Philly. And the energy during regular season and postseason is just palpable. And some of my like favorite sports moments are from just being a fan in Philly. And, you know, no matter what the situation is, those fans are diehard. I can tell you there have been, I've seen blizzards where there's piles and piles of snow on the ground. And I used to live in a section of Philadelphia called Maniunk. And you would just drive down the street and see people outside with snow piled up 10 feet high and their TV on top of it and their lawn chairs out you know, in the sidewalk. And it doesn't matter what happened. Nobody's missing the game. And I just felt like I needed to be a part of that energy and that culture. And, um, you know, I had a roommate in college who babysat for a woman and her younger teenage daughter on the main line. And she asked me if I could sub in for her one day and babysit. And um, Betsy was the woman's name. And I had no idea how much this one you know, three hour babysitting gig would change my life. But, you know, as she was paying me, she asked me what I was going to do after college. And I was like, well, I think I really want to work at the, the Philadelphia Eagles. And it just so happened that she sold radio advertising in Philly. And so she had a direct connect to some senior people over there. And she said, you know, I'll send your resume over, but I, and I can't promise anything, but I promise you that I'll, you know, at least send it over. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And so she did that. And, you know, I, I followed up by way of calling the main front desk and asking for anyone in marketing that I could speak to about my resume being sent over and kind of really didn't get anywhere. So I actually just... Um, drove to the NovaCare complex, which is the front office and also the practice facility one day. And I walked in and went to the front desk and just kind of demanded that I <laughs> speak to somebody, be put in touch with somebody. You have my resume. I need to work here. Um, and just kept persisting until finally somebody gave me a call back and said, you know, um, we don't really have like a full-time opportunity for you, but training camp is coming up. A training camp used to take place at Lehigh University. Training camp is coming up and, you know, it's a couple of weeks long in the summer 
And if you'd be interested in interviewing for a training camp internship, you know, we'd be happy to interview you, but there's no marketing internships. They've been filled. So you would be a merchandise intern, which is basically just, you know, you're sitting in the trailer outside of where people are walking up to the field and you're selling McNabb jerseys and whatever. And I was like, absolutely, I'll take it. So I went in, interviewed for the training camp merchandising internship and got it. Uh, had a great time at training camp. It was such an, like, an insight to see all of the fans driving from wherever just to come watch the Eagles practice and get ready for the season. Uh, and then while I was there, I met uh, the woman who oversaw the corporate sponsorships team and just kept in touch with her. And then she ended up hiring me for a full-time internship in season. Um, so for the 2003 to four season uh, in the corporate sponsorship department. And that was a really exciting time to be there. They were opening Lincoln financial field. Um, it was an inaugural season there. Uh, the team was strong. We ended up going to the Super Bowl that year, getting defeated by the Patriots, but mm -hmm. still high energy intense, um, intense season was really fun. And, uh, that's pretty much, that's how I got into the Philadelphia Eagles. One word comes up every, like the last time you told me that story and now again, it's, it's tenacity and it, it seems like you've been tenacious throughout your journey, um, from the stories that you've told me and from the the stops that you've made, what, where does that come from? Is that from your parents, your upbringing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think some of it is upbringing and some of it is a bit of soul searching and then becoming more comfortable in your own skin as you get older. But, you know, my parents, are immigrants from Guyana, which is in South America. And they immigrated here in 1980. And I think I'm the first of anybody in my family to be born here, raised here in the United States, go to college here. And um, my parents, but especially my dad, has always been a strong believer in women and leadership. And I never was raised with the sense of that I was limited in anything. Um, he never, or my mother never said, you can't do anything because you're a girl. You can't not do anything because you're a person of color. It was always just kind of like, do whatever you want to do. Just make sure you do it to the best of your ability and whatever you want, like put your back into it and go get it. Um, so it's kind of just raised with that mentality and raised with a dad who strongly believed in, in women. And it's not that he was like out there, like go women, go girls. It, it was just like, everyone was equal. So yeah. whatever you want, just go get it. And he said that to my brother as well. Um, and then I think also, this is kind of interesting, you know, nobody really teaches American kids how to deal with immigrant parents and no one teaches immigrant parents how to raise American kids. And it was kind of, it was different for me growing up. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey 
predominantly Caucasian, um, upper middle class town. And it was, you know, as, as if being an adolescent girl isn't hard enough already. <laughs> when you layer in the fact that you're quite different from everybody else, and then you don't really have that like parent that you can kind of say, you know, I'm experiencing some differences. Can you help me through that? And, you know, in a much more kid way, um, because my parents, they are definitely good. Like they were great providers and they definitely set me and my brother up for being able to achieve the things we want in life, but they weren't necessarily the parents that you would run to for like emotional conversations and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then culturally, you know, there was an element of me being a bit embarrassed, I would say, growing up because, you know, I would go over to my friend's houses and I felt like all of my girlfriends were like best friends with their moms and <laughs> like dress alike and talk about boys and, you know, serve pizza. And then you like come to my house and my, my parents are quite the opposite. They kind of stayed away from mingling with my friends. And my mom would, you know, always have something to eat, but it was ethnic. And I was like, oh, mom, my friends don't eat that. What are you doing? It's so embarrassing. It's terrible. Um, so there was kind of this element of this cultural, like the, they didn't like put me into typical suburban American culture. So they didn't really sign me up for, uh, you know, soccer, everybody played soccer. And if you don't start playing soccer when you're six, you're definitely not going to play soccer when you're 10. Cause by then everybody's been playing it their entire lives. And you're just kind of like odd man out, odd woman out. Um, but I had always grown up playing sports in the street with all of the neighborhood kids, um, any sport you could think of, whatever it was going on in gym class or whatever season we were basketball, football, um, baseball, didn't matter. We played it. And, um, one of my friends said to me, you know, as we were freshmen in high school, you should come, you know, run track, run spring track. You're, you're pretty fast. I've seen you in gym class. Uh, just join the track team. It's a lot of fun and anyone can join and everybody's kind of joining at the same time. Cause this wasn't a sport that you had to have played since, you know, kindergarten. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Sounds great. I can run. Why not? <laughs> And then um, I remember the very first day of track, freshman year of high school, the coach had everybody sprint their fastest around the track one time, 400 meters, just to got, kind of get a gauge of where everybody was at. And, you know, I walk in like super confident. Like, yeah, of course, I'm going to totally nail this 400 meter dash. <laughs> and um, I made it halfway around the track until I was bent over and panting for air and swear I like went into like an asthmatic cough. It was a whole scene. And I was like, Oh my God, what have I done? But you know, I had a bunch of friends there and I really wanted to be a part of it. So I stuck with it. And honestly, it was one of the best things I've ever done. Kind of set me up for life in a way amongst wow. all of the other things, because, you know, I was able to not, even run a full lap um, on the first day. But after the first season, you know, I was fully participating in the 800 meter, um, which is two laps around dash, Mm -hmm. as well as um, the 400. And so setting small goals and achieving them. And then every now and then I would go out for a distance run with the cross country girls 
anywhere like five to six miles, which I could never do at first, but by the end of the summer was able to do that with them. So again, another example of setting small goals and achieving them. And in my head, I was just, you know, getting better at running. But what I didn't realize was that I was just building the tools to be a more confident person and kind of have the methodology of setting a small goal, achieving it, setting a bigger goal, achieving it. And although this is completely painful and I might be throwing up at the side of the track one day, you, you pick yourself up and you come back the next day and you can actually see progress and kind of altered my mental state, I think, to think along those lines. Uh, and there is a point where you feel like I've never been in so much physical pain in my life, which is like a fast forward to, you know, childbirth many years <laughs> later. And that's what I would say now, but, uh, but I was able to overcome it. So uh, just keep going and keep persisting. And eventually you're going to be able to set the small goals and set the bigger goals and keep achieving them. I think there's something to say about girls playing sports at a young age. And like you said, it, it built up those habits for you to be successful. But then it also just, like you said, it, 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 it sits, you're able to just be more confident in your skin. And this can be in on the guy side or the girl side. It's, it's really just being able to play sports and not be ridiculed for it at a young age. I it just had on, um, I mean, I just talked with the director of marketing at the Chicago Red Stars uh, women's mm -hmm. soccer team, and she's going to be jumping on the podcast in the future. And when we are talking, I, it's incredible the difference to see if or when girls start playing sports at a young age and don't fit into that aren't forced into gender norms because of, Hey, this is how it's always been. And this is how it's always been. And this is how mom and, and grandma did it. So you can't, you can't go play baseball. You can't do that. And at a young age, when you're told you can't do something, there's, I feel like we're almost limiting the, the future of the youth. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about one of my biggest passion points. At some point, I need to, whether it's professionally or personally, just become a person who works to get more girls at a young age involved in sports. Um, I have a daughter, she's five. And I make sure, you know, since the day she could run, that she was involved in soccer. She still plays. Um, she loves it. She's constantly playing with my son. Uh, he's nine. He loves baseball. He teaches her. Uh, we don't put any barriers around what he can play and what she can play. They just play together. And when I was growing up, like I said, I was playing in the streets, mix of boys and girls, mostly boys. And that honestly, I think later on in life helped me become a lot more comfortable in my career, which is largely sports focused, which is a largely male dominated industry, but I happen to feel really comfortable around men. Um, and part of that might be because I grew up playing, playing sports with them, but for girls playing sports, the, the things that happen when you start playing sports and stick with playing sports are just intangibly valuable because you 
learn to appreciate your body for not what it looks like, but for what it can achieve in this, you know, culture that we live in where it's girls learn at a very young age that they're supposed to look this way mm-hmm. or, you know, societal pressures of being thin or being whatever, like having a, you know, more voluptuous backside or whatever it is. Like you, you look at your body a different way for what it can achieve. It also teaches you a lot about team building and how to be a part of a team and how to be a leader on a team. And sometimes you need to be the leader and sometimes you need to be the follower. Um, I think it also just overall boosts your confidence. It also just forms relationships with other people around um, something that you all enjoy doing together. And I think there's a really high incidence of girls dropping out of sports once they leave middle school um, and they're about to get into high school. And there's like an alarming statistic of, I I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but if you stick with playing sports throughout high school, uh, you know, the, the measures that that can have in your adult life. Um, So super important, I think for girls to keep playing sports. It's huge. And because of you to, you continuously, even today, you, you kept up with the running. You said that it it's helped you with your confidence going into everything, uh, going into not only only the workforce workforce I should say, and but motherhood as well. Can you talk about kind of really just? You said you're very comfortable in front of men. What? How were those first like those board meetings? Let's call them where you're the only person in the room or only woman in the room, I should say. Yeah, no, that has happened a lot. And I think things, you know, things definitely evolved from the time I started my career, you know, I was 21 uh, and then far beyond 21 today. And um, (laughs) you definitely become more confident, I think with age Um, and not just with age by way of numbers, but age by way of the experiences you've had. I've, I've had some pretty terrible experiences, to be honest, with managers, um, man, woman, doesn't matter, uh, or with other colleagues that have really, like, knocked me down, shaken me emotionally, shaken my confidence, but um, have been able to bounce back from them, kind of then see them at a distance and understand the larger context of why what happened happened or how it happened, or maybe they were going through something that I had you know, not, no line of sight to, which caused them to behave in the way that they did. Um, but as far as, you know, be, being comfortable in a room full of men, the thing is, I don't really go walk into a room and think to myself, oh man, I'm going to be the only woman in here. Mm-hmm. So I have to act in a certain way or say a certain amount of things. I just walk into the room and I'm just me and these are my colleagues. Um, and the thing that I am conscious of though, because I can't not be conscious of it because there is so much emphasis on, um, gender barriers and unequal pay and discrimination in the workplace and, you know, women often getting overlooked, um, by their male colleagues. I am conscious that as I go through my career, 
it's my responsibility. And also I want to help other women who might not feel as comfortable in those situations. So I don't walk into those rooms with a, like a, consciously thinking I have a handicap or inversely a leg up because I'm a woman in a room full of men. But I am conscious that all women, whatever your level is, have the like, responsibility of helping other women and advocating for other women. Wow. That I there's there's really nothing for me to say there. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I think yeah, seriously, mic drop. Um I wanna get into your your experience a little bit to transition. I think a lot of people that are listening, if they if they really heard what you you said, you you went from the Eagles to N one to 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 ultimately footlocker but you've had so many stops on the way and the one specifically that i want to talk about is your your time at pepsi pepsico and it's interesting how do they they do things there and i just (laughs) i i I want you to i'm gonna obviously give you the floor to talk about that but then also talk about uh you, you told me a little bit of a story about the super bowl if you can get into that as well oh yeah okay so I've got to back up at the Super Bowl to give you the context. Yeah. So I was working at Momentum, which is an agency, and learning a ton there. American Express was my client. They're some of the smartest people I've ever met. I was so happy to work on that account because I got to see how their minds work. Um, truly, truly great marketers. And But anyway, I had my, my first baby when I was working at Momentum, which you know, it's like a really emotional time to like have your first kid. You're just trying to figure things out and mom guilt. And oh my God, I can't believe I leave him every day. And I go to New York city and I hardly see him. He's going to, you know, be 18 before I know it. And, um, (laughs) I mean, agency life, I'm, I'm sure some women do it. I just couldn't like, I couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, work there till 7 PM every night get weird looks from people if I had if I left at 5 30 because I wanted to go home and see my kid you know the comments like oh taking a half day and like go back to your life of (laughs) no responsibility and call me back when you have a kid but um I just couldn't not see him and I had then I had another client Microsoft who's on the west coast and the hours are just unbearable and um I ultimately decided to leave and I went to work at Nielsen, which feels like a left turn, but I feel like everything happens for a reason. And um, our, one of our clients from American Express went to Nielsen to be the CMO there. And she was building out a marketing team in order to make the brand feel more approachable to its customers. And um, I got the sense from her that on her team, she was, she was also a, a working mom, really accomplished working mother, young child. And she understood the the value of being around for your child, but also, you know, continuing to build your career. At the same time, I wanted to start my MBA. But really, it was about me having that time with Mason. And um, for a year, I worked there, and I was able to do exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I had the flexibility to work from home a couple days a week. 
I got to see him a lot more, spend some quality time. And it's funny, you know, because he was like one year old. So it was really more for me than yeah. he'll ever remember. But, you know, they're only little for so long. Um, but <clears throat> very quickly, I knew that, you know, I was bored. I was like, what am I doing here? This is not the lane that I want to be in. And then a light bulb kind of clicked for me the Super Bowl Sunday where Beyonce performed at the halftime show, the very first one. And I was so enamored with that performance because it was all women on, you know, Beyonce made a very clear point to have all women on stage, all women behind the scenes. It was a fully woman run production. She is a powerful force that you could just feel through the TV. And I'm scrolling through my social media and kind of seeing that everybody that I've worked with in the past from the Eagles and and one and um, momentum were all some way, shape or form connected to this Super Bowl, whether it be through the game or um, through the halftime performance, or maybe they worked at a sponsor of the NFL. And so they, you know, they were running activations or whatever it was. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like sitting on my couch watching this unfold on TV when I worked so hard to be, get my foot in the door in the first place and then maintain it, um, which was like a lot. It was a challenge. And, uh, you know, to start like building a name for myself in that industry. And now I'm sitting here watching it all. And so literally the next day, I think it was February 5th, <laughs> I woke up and was like, I'm getting back into sports. I'm calling everybody that I know, which at the time was still pretty limited because I was very junior. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to like make it happen. Go through the motions, like interviewing with everybody. I think I was in Napa Valley with my girlfriends over the summer. And I got an email from my resume being submitted at PepsiCo. And one, you know, I re didn't realize how much at the end of the day that and one would really set the tone for my entire career. Uh, because so now at this point, I've worked with PepsiCo by way of Mountain Dew, who was a sponsor of the Anwin Mixtape Tour, as well as Foot Locker. And so many of the people that I met at And One who have become really influential, not just in marketing, but in culture, um, have become some of the most valuable people that I've ever met. And... Um, so PepsiCo emailed me while I was on this trip with my girlfriends in Napa Valley. And I like had to refresh the screen. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I'm going to have this interview. I've got to get this job. And it was for um, the sports marketing team. They had a, a team called Consumer Engagement. And that was all the sports, music, uh, and, and music partnerships. And this job was specifically for managing the relationship with Hendrick Motorsports and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Very foreign to me because my, you know, my whole life before that had been stick and ball sports, basketball, football. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about NASCAR, but I was like, I don't even care because I, that's the place I want to go work. PepsiCo, big budgets, big brands, sexy advertising, innovation, not afraid to take risks. Um, the name on the door, just got to get it, got to get it done. And so I ended up getting the job which is amazing, but 
um, kind of this moment that I had was when Super Bowl Sunday, exactly one year following the Beyonce performance that propelled me into, you know, light igniting where my life was going to go next. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, I was then on the field when Bruno Mars was performing because I was, uh, because PepsiCo is the sponsor of the halftime show. And, you know, I volunteered to, you know, do some, do some work stuff um, on the field. And I had this moment, I kind of looked up, all the lights were shining and I was like, holy shit, I can't even believe what has just happened (laughs) because the very thing that made me feel low, but also ignited this flame of where it is I want my career to go is now exactly where I'm standing 365 days later. And I, I, I guess I put that energy out there into the world, but not necessarily for a literal, you know, transfer of Super Bowl to Super Bowl, <laughs> but it happened that way. And um, it's quite emotional. It's like probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life. That's incredible. I think there's so much to be said about just taking a leap of faith. And while you didn't just quit your job or anything, it was, you truly did. You started reaching out to those contacts and everything like that. For anybody, speaking of contacts, for anybody that's listening, do you want to explain the benefit of having those contacts and not burning those bridges if you, when you left those positions or anything like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I said, these kind of things, they become even more evident as you get older, especially if you stick in the same industry, Um, you know, because people leave jobs for various reasons. I think the number one reason people leave jobs is because of poor management. But even just while you're, you know, happy in your job, wherever you might be, you never know when those people that you're working alongside or even adjacent to are going to pop up in your life again. And in the strangest ways, like, for example, um, I worked with somebody in my past way back, like at and one, like early on that I really like he he made me feel very uncomfortable. And now fast forward to, you know, present day, um, somebody called me and was like, hey, do you know this person? He applied for this job. Would you would you vouch for him? And I picked up the phone and I called them and I said, listen, I don't believe in holding grudges or um, that people can't change, but this was my experience with that person Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a good one. And that person was immediately removed from the consideration set for that, for that job. And, and you might know that these things are happening. Some like that could have been me. Like what if someone had a bad experience with me and, you know, I didn't get a call back for a job and, I had no reason why, like, sometimes you don't even know that these conversations are being had, um, not necessarily behind your back. That's like the wrong thing to say, but you don't know that these conversations are being had about you or if somebody's calling you to, you know, discuss somebody else because they know that you worked with them. And so one, it's super important to keep those contacts and keep good relationships or just come out of every job that you leave, you know, without any without any residual feelings because one, you never know when you're going to need to call on those people again. Um, And then two, when you're out there 
shopping around for whatever your next opportunity might be. You don't want any kind of paper trail following you. Um, and then, you know, it's super cool to see, you know, when you're really young in your career and the only people you really know are the people that you're working with. But then, you know, eventually they'll branch off and go work somewhere else. And then you'll go somewhere else. And then you'll meet a whole new set of people who will eventually branch off and go work somewhere else. And then kind of to see, you know, from now, from today versus 17 years ago, where people have gone in pursuit of their passion or wherever life has taken them. Um, it's been really fun to watch people's career unfold or, you know, whatever their journey in life has been. And then to be able to reconnect with them and find that you still have similar passion points and maybe together you'll, you'll work again together someday, or maybe one day we'll all start our agency together, you know, who knows, mm -hmm. but you kind of, you have this collection of people um, in your life that can become pretty important for reasons that you might never know or reasons that you might never have line of sight to, uh, but that just pop up and you're like, wow, I can't believe that. I haven't talked to that person in 15 years, but they're like heavily influential in where my life is going to go or I can help them in some way, um, you know, for the next move. That's amazing. I, if it wasn't for me just keeping in contact with uh, my connections and not burning bridges. Um, I've, I, this podcast wouldn't be a thing at all. And I, I hesitate on saying I've never burned a bridge because I, I definitely have. And <laughs> that's come back to, like you said, it coming back, comes back to biting me in the butt. And, um, that role that I, I was looking at or anything like that, that's, that's now not an option because I, I decided to make that make that decision at such a young age. It's, it's usually, um, people at a young age saying, Hey, this won't come back to bite me. Like you said, right. and, it, and it always does. It always does. So that's, that's interesting that I, I, I think everybody that we I've had on to talk about that subject, everybody says the same thing as you age, while it might seem like a whatever now it always comes back to bite you. So totally. it's, that's just a weird concept that we aren't teaching kids at a young age that I feel like needs to be taught to. Um, but can you talk about Foot Locker? Like your role right now is something that you're look, you're being looked up to by so many in the industry that, that honestly want your job, but like oh. want something, want to know what you're doing and everything like that. So you do want to talk about your day to day and, um, what challenges that day-to-day -day kind of brings? Sure. So my role at Foot Locker, so there's, you know, Foot Inc. Foot, Foot Inc. is comprised of Foot Locker, Foot Action, Champs, and East Bay. And Foot Locker, you know, is the, the bigger brand in the building and um, is a heritage brand, right? It's been around for 30-plus years has always kind of been synonymous with basketball, the culture of basketball and sneakerheads and like teenage men and, you know, young men. Um, Cause that's, we can go like way further into this, but you know, men in sports have kind of been more synonymous than women in sports as far as companies who they mm -hmm. target. 
that's like a whole other thing. So um, my role is is new as I've been in it for 18 months. So it was new when I started. And what happened there was a few of our, you know, we're a retailer and a few of our biggest partners um, had had put a stake in the ground about two years ago and said, we need to go after women. Mm-hmm. Like I said, lots of reasons that we can unpack in another podcast about <laughs> why the sneaker industry has only just realized that there are women out there who have feet and bodies and they need to, you know, they're like 50% of the population that should be spoken to and could represent X amount of sales revenue. Um, so Foot Locker reacted and said that they were putting a team together to focus specifically on being the voice of Foot Locker to women because um, the vo- Foot Locker had just been about product for males um, and that's primarily what you would see. Mm-hmm. And so they said, we're going to put a brand director, a brand manager, and a social media manager in place to build out what Foot Locker is to women. And that's not necessarily lady Foot Locker. That's Foot Locker bringing women into broader Foot Locker sneaker culture um, voice to women. And it's been an amazing ride. There was one woman on the team when I started playing the role of brand manager and social media manager. And um, then I started and we hired a social media manager and took that off of her plate. So it was the three of us. And we sat down and we said, like, what do we want to be about for women? We built out the strategy, uh, at least the two-year plan and the one-year plan, uh, immediate needs, one-year plan, and then the longer vision, two-year plan of what that would look like. Uh, And then we just hit the ground running. And the thing that had been frustrating me is, you know, plans take time. And so for the first nine to 12 months, I think people were starting to question, what is it that you guys are doing? We don't see anything coming out of your team. And it's this constant reinforcing and reminder, like, here's the plans. The plans are coming. You, You will see what we see in just due time. So please just be patient. And then uh, all of a sudden, the Foot Locker Women brand just kind of like erupted onto the scene. Um, we I'm trying to think what was the first thing that launched, but we um, started to roll out like bigger programs with some of our key vendor partners, um, Nike being one of them. We have just signed a designer who I can't name yet, but she will be, her role will be as creative director for Foot Locker Women. And you'll see a lot of exclusive stuff coming from her. Awesome. Sold sold only at Foot Locker Women for the next two years. Um, I think we've increased new female consumers up like 20% 2019 versus 2020. We've, doubled our social media following, but more important than the follower numbers is the sentiment. We've decided that we're going to put a stake in the ground and stand for entrepreneurship. And so we launched our very own platform called Behind Her Label. And what Behind Her Label is about is, you know, we we did some research with the Data Insights team and uncovered this fact. I mean, 
you could probably apply this to a lot of industries, but there's a gender gap that exists in streetwear. And again, it's about men, designers, kind of being at the forefront of streetwear, but having gotten the resources, therefore they you know, are able to put their companies on the map and then the ones that get attention from celebrities and influencers and other brands. And then that's kind of cyclical. And what's not happening is that there are tons of emerging female streetwear designers, but they're not really getting the break that they need to grow their business to whatever their vision is. And so behind her label is out there partnering with emerging female streetwear designers and bringing them in to Foot Locker and saying, we're going to give you Foot Locker as a national platform to tell people more about who you are, why you're passionate about your brand, what you're developing, and then, you know, sell your product. Um, in 2021, we'll be able to sell behind her label designer product, both in store and, and com. So a full omnipresence. And um, so it, it's really, it was about us being passionate about a certain passion, a certain point, which is entrepreneurship and finding the lane to help women um, out there through that lens. And then another lane that we speak to a lot is self-care, which our social media manager has done this amazing job of being able to use our social channel as this vehicle for storytelling and for connecting with consumers. And so you'll go to Foot Locker Women Social and you'll see product posts, but you'll see all these different ways that we connect with consumers. Um, self-care couldn't have come at a better time than this year with the pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah, she launched Self-Care Sundays where we were partnering with um, people who are influential in that space to host IGTV um, sessions. Uh, when the Black Lives Matter movement erupted over the spring and summer, she launched a series to talk specifically about uh, because Black Lives Matter. Uh, and then, you know, less heavy topics as well. Um, one was called hashtag house kicks when, you know, the pandemic launched, like who's going anywhere? Nobody. <laughs> Why would you ever need to put anything on your feet? But um, kind of kept people inspired and, and lighthearted, you know, show us, show us your style at home, show us your house kicks. And so Foot Locker Women has really now kind of come into its own right. And as of August, I'm also overseeing the kids business, which is super fun. And it's actually more complex than you would think because there are so many guardrails around how you can speak to minors. Yeah. And when you're speaking through the lens of kids Foot Locker and Foot Locker Kids, given depending on the age of the child who you're really speaking to is the parent um so you've got to develop programs that speak to the parent but are in the 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 passion points of their kids and at some age like usually age eight is when kids start to inform their parents about what they want so then the kid we've got to then inspire the kids to specifically ask their parents to take them to Foot Locker and kids Foot Locker to get you know x or you know, this is happening in the store. Can we go? Um, so it's been really fun to unpack that. And we are um, ready to hit the ground running in 2021. I'm excited to see what you all have coming. I just scrolling through the Foot Locker women's Instagram. It's 
it's cool to see like all these different people that you guys partner with on a, a on an everyday basis and it's cool to see that it's not just those people that i don't get to talk to as someone that's not crazy followed or anything like that but it's it's people it, it's normal everyday people and right. that's that's incredible I, I i love that i love that what's what are you excited for in the future that you can obviously speak of ah uh. Well, I can't really say the thing that I want to say because I'm not allowed to name names, but I'm super excited to launch this designer in May. Um, and not just because of who she is and her belief system and how freaking cool she is, but also in the way that we're bringing her to market um, is really unique because consumers will have a direct hand in remember those choose your own adventure books back in the day where yeah. you literally got to decide how things unfold um it's going to be somewhat in that realm so consumers are consumer engagement will hopefully be very high um and they'll have a heavy influence on how everything with this designer unfolds i'm intrigued I am very intrigued. I wish I could tell you more. No, it's okay. I Stay am tuned. Very, I'm, in, I'm very intrigued. And um, I know we can go on for, for days and everything like that. But I, I'm i going to ask you one last question. Okay. And it's what impact do you want to leave on the world? Um. Okay. This is such a big question as far as what impact I want to leave on the world. Um, I think it's a two-part answer. The first part is, um, you know, I have two kids, nine and five, and I want to make sure, I think the biggest legacy that I can leave, obviously, is that they're happy, healthy, and good people. Um, so that's the first part. And then the second part kind of ties together everything that we've talked about in the past hour in that um, sports and the ability to play and participate in athletics is such a life-changing experience. And I guess to set the context for what I'm trying to say, I think we've all realized that the world is just not an equal playing field and um, people from different countries, different towns, villages, et cetera, different walks of life just don't have the same opportunities across the board. Um, and I think in 2020, that became even more evident with the events that took place, um, specifically in the United States, but had a global impact. Um, and I think that for me, there's, there's many layers to that, right? Like there's socioeconomic layers and there's um, just responsibilities of different individuals and there's different layers to why, um, to why people have access to certain things that others don't. And I think for me, what I would love to do specifically through the lens of sports is work with an organization that is bringing access to, to different countries, villages, towns across the globe, bringing access to be able to participate in sports for not just girls, but just for kids in general. Um, you know, like I had mentioned, 
I mean, the first six years of my life, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. It's a much different environment. I wasn't participating in any kind of organized sport there. And then, you know, we moved to the suburbs of New Jersey when my brother was born. Um, and I still didn't participate in organized sport, but that's when I kind of got exposed to the fact that at least in, in the town that I was growing up in, there was the ability to participate in soccer and basketball and peewee football and um, baseball, swimming, whatever you wanted at an early age. And I think there's such a, an emphasis on sports, obviously in the United States, it's a business, right? Like just the very fact my job is based in sports and it's the one of the largest forms of entertainment that the United States has. And given that it's one of the largest forms in entertainment um, and there's so much celebrity involved in it, you know, parents are conscious of that and are enrolling their kids into organized sports at such an early age. And it's a luxury actually to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, you see it when you watch the Olympic games, you'll see you know, the United States rolls up with like a small army of athletes. Um, other countries, like the country my parents are from, Guyana, I don't think you've ever seen many, maybe a handful, you can count on two hands, the number of Olympic athletes who have come out of there. And whether that's because they have access to sports or the sports that they play there just aren't Olympic sanctioned events. Um, you know, there's, there's different reasons for that, but um, it's just the fact of the matter is beyond the United States and more so globally, the ability to be able to participate in sports is not as readily available. And that's for different reasons. Um, it could be socioeconomic reasons. It can just be, you know, uh, maybe there's not as much emphasis or importance of playing sports culturally, or, you know, maybe kids have different obligations that they just don't have the time and their parents feel like they should be doing other things with their time or, you know, serving their family in other ways. Um, so for me, what I would really love to be able to do and impact the world is be able to bring access to sports um, and the, the ability to participate in sports to kids around the globe, uh, you know, in different towns and villages and countries um, and just kind of teach them the importance of the positive impact that even just playing, you know, a pickup game of, of anything can give them once a week from making new friends and um, exercise and leading a healthier lifestyle and having a more positive attitude, teamwork, leadership, how to persevere when something is challenging and becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable and just allowing them to have fun and be kids. So that's where I'd like to leave it. I think anybody that's that's listening to this um, would probably want an answer to this last question is where can people find out more about your work? Where can people follow your journey and everything like that? Sure. So on Instagram, I'm at it's the real Alexis, but it's a private account. So I have to approve everybody who comes through because, you know, I get weird about people having access to seeing my family members. Um, anyway, and then on LinkedIn, I'm on there as Alexis Stoll Sigliano. 
And I think that's probably the two best places. And then also, it's just follow Foot, Foot Locker, Locker women. women, right? All right Foot Locker cool. Women, yeah. But yeah. also Foot Locker, you know, one thing I made sure of everybody noting was that, like, women's issues and women's empowerment are not just the responsibility of women. They're also yeah. the responsibility of men or however you identify your gender. So put that through to the main channel. Like, don't just put women's stuff on the women's channel. Women's stuff needs to go on the kids' channel and on the men's channel, or not the men, the master brand channel, because um, women's issues are everybody's issues. Exactly. Well, Alexis, I appreciate you jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. I, As you mentioned before, I am totally open to a part two uh, sometime, hopefully in the future, when we can talk about this designer and everything else you have going on. Izzy, thank you. I really appreciated talking to you today. Yo, thank you for checking out this episode of the Strange on Purpose podcast. I literally could not do any of this without you listening today. So thank you again. And if you're interested, check us out on Instagram at Strange on Purpose or check out our website, strangeonpurpose.co. I have a newsletter that should be dropping very, very soon, blog posts to come with all of this. And hopefully when COVID restrictions end. We can do some live events and everything like that. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you tune into the next one.